0: What's up, Outfielders Anonymous fans? This is your man, Hawk, and sitting beside me in my basement somewhere in South Carolina is my man, Chase the Ace. Chase, how are we doing today? Doing fantastic. Welcome back for
1: episode three, everyone. We got a special treat for everyone today. As promised, we were going to be diving into a minor league segment on our show, something that I think gets overlooked and underappreciated in the realm of of professional baseball these guys uh the player development that is minor league baseball that brings you what you get to watch on tv every day and every week and go to the ballpark and see starts with what the minor league and the farm league system is so we had the uh the honor of sitting down With Eric Jarenko of the Greenville Drive, a uh, Boston Red Sox single-A affiliate,
0: 2018 World Series champion, Boston Red Sox. And the Greenville Drive won the South Atlantic League in 2017 as well.
1: Yes, they did. So, it was a great honor for us to sit down with Eric, a good friend of ours, a great guy. um, And you know what?
0: Let's talk about this for a second, Brian. A good businessman. It it certainly was. And you know what? You're the baseball guy. you, you look at the strikes and the balls, and, 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 and I love the, uh, the baseball side of it, but what I took out of it as a business person is, is Eric's uh, very astute business acumen, i got to tell you. Um, and it's just enjoyable. To, you know. He, he does some of the things that I do also, right? So he was talking in, in a part of the interview, he talks about when he's going to the Super Bowl but he's taking pictures of the condiment stands and the trash cans. and Napkin holders. Napkin holders. and What do they have and how can we improve? And that is business. And, and I do the same thing when I, whenever I'm watching television. I'm looking at marketing or, or this and that. So yep. uh, I thought it was a great interview uh, from the, the business side as Absolutely. well as the baseball side.
1: Yeah, I mean, because both of us, I mean, like you said, Yeah, well, obviously we're baseball guys and baseball fans, but you and I have done different forms of business over our careers, sales, marketing, finance, all of that down the road. So to hear someone that gets to incorporate something as beautiful as baseball into a day-to-day business is actually really interesting and a fun way to think about something. Because at the end of the day, it is a business. Yeah. And we got to see a different side of it versus just balls and strikes. Yeah.
0: Well, certainly it's America, it's capitalism, it's business. Uh, But it was a great interview, and uh, without further ado, here is the interview with Eric Jarenko, the general manager of the Greenville Drive, the single-A affiliate of the 2018 World Series champion Boston Red Sox. as promised we have a minor league segment called the cornfields it's for the farm leagues we're joined today by eric Jorinko, general manager of the greenville drive the single a affiliate of the 2018 world champion boston red sox eric joined the drive in their inaugural season as the director of media relations he's also served in director and vice president positions with the drive in entertainment ballpark operations red sox relations and sponsor services he served as the assistant general manager before being promoted to the general manager in November of 2013. Eric's also received some awards. He was the South Atlantic League's Media Relations Director of the Year in 2009 and 2010, and here in Greenville, Greenville Business Magazine's best and brightest under 35 in 2011. Eric, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, we have a beautiful day here at <laughs> Floor Field. Uh, it's uh, nice and breezy here, and... Uh, we appreciate the time uh spending with us today
1: all right Eric, welcome on and uh like i said thank you for allowing us to come out and conduct an interview with you it means a lot to us and our and our young podcast so tell us a little bit about how you came to greenville became a member of the drive and your journey to becoming general manager
2: yeah it's it's quite interesting actually because um i'm originally from outside of philadelphia um grew up playing like every other young kid playing sports all through high school, uh, especially baseball. Baseball was my passion. Um, Actually came down to Clemson um, back in 2000 was my freshman year. Came down on a baseball scholarship to to play baseball at Clemson. Also came down because I knew Clemson had a really good engineering program. So I actually came down as an engineering major. And both my engineering career and my collegiate baseball career lasted one year. Um, (laughs) So I uh, got hurt after my freshman year. Um, that ended my baseball career, but I knew coming down to Clemson that it wasn't really about my future as a baseball player. Uh, when you're 5'7", uh, you, you know, the future isn't that bright for it to be a professional baseball player. So it was really about the educational side. The engineering program at Clemson, as great as it is, it's, it's really hard. And when you're trying to juggle athletics plus a uh, – course schedule of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. calculus, 9 a.m. physics, 10 a.m. chemistry, that kind of wears on you. So, Clemson was starting a, a sports marketing program after my freshman year, and at that point, it was like, all right, get me out of engineering. I got to do something else.
0: That was actually
2: their first year of doing that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, it was, I mean, it was a, the first first time for them doing a sports marketing program, and really, things just took off from there. I uh, interned with the Baltimore Orioles Double A affiliate prior to my uh, final semester at Clemson, and really... Um, It was the relationships that I developed during that internship that kind of have served as a springboard to where I am today. Um, It's really about the network that you build, because when you look at it, there's 160 minor league teams. There's 30 some major league teams, but it's really still such a close knit community um, within the sports industry. So it was those uh, relationships that I developed during my internship that led to my first job out of college in 05 with the Orioles. And then using those relationships, when this organization was being, uh, when it came to Greenville, the stadium was being built, having someone reach out on my behalf to the ownership group and say, hey, we've got a young kid um, that wants to get back to Greenville. He's a Clemson alum. He sees that you guys have an organization coming there. We think he'd be a great fit. And that's that was my introduction to the drive. And really now over 14 years, it's been an incredible ride First starting out <clears throat> as the director of media relations and thinking that's where I wanted to be thinking I'd only be in Greenville with the drive for maybe three or four seasons get a lot under my belt Um, the media relations side is really hands-on with the players and being a former player that's what I thought I really wanted to do Um, over the years then just other experiences that our ownership group and this organization allowed me to to have I realized you know what being the general manager or doing more on the business side is really what I want to do. And each year, even though my titles would change or my responsibilities would focus on one area, I would try to, okay, where else can I help? Where can my time be better served within the organization? And all that kind of came together then to be named general manager and following the 2013 season.
0: And being from Philly and working there with the Bowie Bay Sox uh, in Baltimore, uh, have you found any good crab cakes or (laughs) cheesesteaks down here
2: uh crab cakes no I've you know what living in Baltimore the one and a half years that I was there I never really got into crab cakes or anything like that uh everyone's go-to up there is usually like Phillips um which is pretty good but I haven't really found anything down here because I'm not like oh I have to have the crab cakes when I go somewhere cheesesteak now that's a tough one um the best place here in in the region now is Inky's. Yep, yep, it, and easily because I know those those folks are from Philadelphia originally, so they, they, they kind of get, get, get it. They get their bread. Yeah, and that's flown down that's the amazing Philly. thing when you talk to people is they say, well, I mean, how hard is it to make a good cheesesteak? And it's well, with the bread. one you need the bread, and it's that Amoroso roll, and yep. I know Inky's gets that brought in, and then the next is you know everyone always asks the question when you, they find out you're from Philly are you a Pats or are you a Geno's guy? And I'm a Pats guy. And when you tell people that, they're like, well, what's the difference? And again, it sounds silly, but Pat's takes the meat, then puts the cheese on. Whereas Geno's puts the cheese on first, then the meat. And it's so whiz, in. Right? They, they both cheese. use cheese whiz, okay. but yeah, it's, it's that. You would never think putting the cheese on the bread, then the meat would make such a big difference, yeah. but it does. It's, I mean, Pat's is so much <laughs> greasier, which makes it 10 times better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it,
0: it really is. Uh, Now I'm hungry. It's kind (laughs) of early in the morning. So uh, explain to our audience what the interaction or the power or the influence of a major league franchise such as the Boston Red Sox has over their minor league affiliate.
2: Yeah, so we have a player development contract with the Red Sox. Um, We've had that since the team moved from Columbia to Greenville in 2005, played the 05 season uh, out at the old uh, municipal stadium out on Malden Road. Um, basically that contract is an agreement between us and the major league club that we will provide the facility. There are some shared expenses. There are expenses that we handle a hundred percent of, and then they provide the players, the coaching staff, things like that.
0: So all the players are under contract and paid for by By Boston.
2: Yeah. Which, which is unique. Um, Obviously when you see teams in Greenville, like the Swamp Rabbits or the Triumph, um, they actually have to pay their players or a portion of that. We don't handle any of that, which is actually nice when you're trying to operate the business side of things. Um, but no, that, that relationship with the Red Sox, like I said, it's, it's been going on since 2005. Um, the player development contracts, you can sign for four years at a time. You can renew that in the final year of the contract. So we can actually renew ours following this season. Ours is technically up after the 2020 season,
0: the contract with the Red with Sox, the Red
2: okay. Sox. Um, for various reasons. I don't think, I mean, something major would have to happen for us to never be a Red Sox affiliate. One, it'd be really awkward to have a Fenway park replica and all of a sudden be a Yankees affiliate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but two, what a lot of people don't know is that while we or our ownership group owns a hundred percent of the drive franchise, We have a shared relationship with Fenway Sports Group in Salem, Virginia, which is the next step up for the players. Fenway Sports Group owns about 51% of that organization, uh, and our ownership owns the other 49% of that organization. So we have a baseball relationship here in Greenville, and we have a business relationship in Salem with the Red Sox. So it's a very unique holistic uh, relationship with the Red Sox. And what that also lets us do here in Greenville is activate the Red Sox and Fenway Sports Group brand better than any other major or minor league team can with their major league affiliate. What a lot of people don't know is that not only does Fenway Sports Group own the Red Sox and Fenway Park, they own JetBlue Park, the spring training facility in Fort Myers. They own FC Liverpool in the English Premier Soccer League. I'm a Liverpool fan. (laughs) They, uh, they, they control the rights to the Deutsche Bank Golf Classic on the PGA Tour. They own how, half of Roush Fenway Racing and NASCAR and they control all the marketing rights for Boston College and LeBron James. So, I mean, Fenway Sports Group has their hand in a lot of different they things. marketing rights for LeBron James. Yeah, they do all of his non-sports marketing things. So, oh, like, wow. when you see um, some of the uh, TV shows and things like that that he's uh, a part of as an executive producer, that's where they're working that's with him probably. on that.
0: Yeah. You know, LeBron James. I mean how did I, mean, I guess, guess when you're, you're famous you can sell the rights to anything about you. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty
2: impressive. And then again that Fenway Sports Group has their hands in all of those things. If we need tickets to F C Liverpool, we're able to get them. We've done that with our relationship with the folks at CISA and things like that. So we are able to get access to thir- certain things within the Red Sox portfolio that no other minor league team has access to with their major league parent club. Yeah, it
0: was, it was fun getting up. I went to a Red Sox game in 2001, um, Red Sox and White Sox. Um, my buddy was living up there. And just being in that stadium, I mean, it's not the, uh, not the best, uh, you know, newest and all yeah. those things, but there's so much history there uh, that, it, that it was a – Yeah, it's
2: unbelievable. I actually, people say, Oh man, you're a Red Sox affiliate. You must get to a bunch of Red Sox games. I was like, I honestly haven't been to Fenway Park for a game since I was in about fifth grade. Uh, (laughs) Our family did a trip where we hit Fenway Yankee Stadium in Toronto one summer. And other than that, like I remember seeing Roger Clemens and Mo Vaughn. And outside of that, I have not been to Fenway Park for a game. I was supposed to go up for game six of the World Series this year. Luckily, Part of me wanted to see that game. Part of me was happy that it didn't happen because then yeah. I got to have this really nice World Series ring and not have to worry about a game six or a game no, 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 seven. Right. Um, but we sent some of our employees up to some of the playoff games last year. Some of them had never been to Boston. Some had never been to Fenway Park. And for their first experience, two of our sales guys, to go up to Fenway Park for game one against the Yankees in the playoffs, they said was an incredible experience. Yeah, I mean, that
0: has to be. That's a one-time, that's a one-time experience.
1: So – we're talking about you know your employees going you know championships and all that stuff let's uh rewind back just a little bit to 2017 when uh the greenville Drive won the south atlantic league championship tell us what that was like bringing the championship to greenville and what it's meant for the organization going forward from that.
2: It, it was a lot of fun um you know we've had some really good teams really good players over the years so for 2017 to be our first South Atlantic League championship was kind of surprising. Um, we had been to the championship round twice before, back-to-back seasons, 2009, 2010. We lost both of those years to, to Lakewood. Um, 2015, with that loaded roster that we had, it came down to the final day of the regular season to make the playoffs and just missed out. 2011's another team that was absolutely loaded at the end of the year with Jackie Bradley Jr., Xander Bogarts. Um, Travis Shaw, Christian Vasquez, um, that just missed out on the playoffs on the final day of the season as well. Um, so the 2017 season—I mean, it was awesome to win the championship. It was also a little bit surprising that that team was our first championship. Right. L- you said all the talent. Yeah, I mean, a lot of good players on that team in 2017. I wouldn't stack it up as our best prospect team. I mean, looking back, a few years from now, or a few, a few years from now, it could be. Um, with guys like Bobby Dahlback and Darwinson Hernandez and stuff like that. Um, but, again, that team just really gelled together very well. And at the end of the day, with baseball, that's a key aspect of that. That's
1: what I was getting ready to say cause I was actually in attendance uh, when they won the championship here. And I was going to say one thing that I noticed about that team was, and this is going back that entire season, they were having fun. Yeah. You could tell they were having fun. It would, it showed whether they were winning or losing. Like you said, they were gelling together and they were enjoying the game.
2: Yeah, it was. And that's a testament. I mean, one to the Red Sox organization, how the laid back approach. I mean, obviously you're here to get a job done, but they let the guys have fun. And then to our manager at the time, Darren Fenster, I mean, he had a saying it's engraved in our championship rings from that year. Um, He would be every day the next day following every game when they would do their team huddle before their team practice before that evening's game. He would ask a player, hey guys, what is the best part about last night's game? And the same response was every time it's over. No matter what, no matter what happened the night before win, lose, errors, hits, home runs, anything. That game is over. We're on to this game. And and that stuck with the guys the whole year. um, That saying. Um, and really, I mean, I, I know Darren looks back at that season and talks about there was a – he said the turning point in that season was we had a doubleheader with Rome, uh, I think, in June or July when, you know, it's getting late in the season, it's hot. We had a lead. We blew the lead. We gave up like nine runs in the second-to-last inning. Guys still fought back in the bottom half of the inning, four sacks innings We ultimately lost that game. But he said that's the turning point in that season because the guys could have put their heads down, gave up on game one of that doubleheader after they blew the lead, and said, you know what, let's live to play another game. Let's not worry about trying to tie this. We've got to play another seven innings tonight. And he said they fought back. They ultimately lost that game, but that was the turning point in that season because they didn't get down on themselves that they blew a big lead. They fought back. They forced extra innings. They lost, but they didn't just give up.
0: Perseverance in the in the face of adversity always determines champions. Yeah. It really does. And if I'm not mistaken, in 2004, uh, when the Red Sox won the first World Series to break the curse yeah. of the Bambino, um, if I'm not mistaken, they were down three games uh, to none to the Yankees yeah. uh, in that. And then they came back and won that series. Yeah. And then, of course, went on to one. Yeah, game. and it was
2: the first 3-0 comeback yeah. ever. And for the Red Sox to do it to break that long curse against the Yankees as well, I mean, it was was incredible
0: very good friend of mine I was going over to his house and watching and I watched the first three games and of course they lost and then I wasn't able to make the fourth game and they won and he says you can't come back <laughs> over uh, the rest of the rest Next. of the playoffs right now so I didn't and yeah. they won the they won the, uh-huh. they won the world series uh, and after that season that you all won the South Atlantic League what's it like you know maybe it's a poor term but there was a basically a yard sale I mean all those guys went up to you know Uh, double a triple a I mean and then it was starting anew with a younger cast last year yeah didn't turn out the best uh record wise
2: yeah I mean and at this level it's single a when you are pretty much a player's first full season um I mean guys may start at GCL rookie ball or short season with Lowell but I mean this is their first taste of full season ball from April through September coming off of spring training I mean, we do have a lot of player movement. I mean, you look at even looking at the uh, the 17 season, there were guys, especially the pitching staff, that helped win in the first half, which got us into the playoffs. That then weren't even here for the second half of the season, um, whether they were moved up or traded, even. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we see probably about 80 percent turnover in our roster each year from opening day to opening day. Um, it's just the nature of the beast, especially at this level. And and when you've got an organization such as the Red Sox that does such a great job scouting, drafting, developing their players, they're gonna test those guys. And if they feel that they're ready to move up, they're not gonna hold them here in Greenville. They may push them sooner than the player may like, but it's for their benefit because they're gonna have to str- go through struggles. How do you get out of that at some point? Um, and our our team, it's amazing. I mean, the Red Sox draft very young. Um, seems like our team, It's probably because I'm getting older every year, but our team seems to get younger every single year. But, I mean, you can look around. I mean, you go back to that 15 team, and every infielder on that roster was under the age of 20, which is unreal. Yeah. I, th- I think Nick Longy, the first baseman, turned 20 during the season, but Mankata was 18 or 19 De- Rafael Devers, if he was an American-born player, legally still would have been a senior in high school. Yeah, I do remember that, but I did not know that all of the infield was 20. Yeah, Chavis that. was so young. Devers wow. was so young. Javier Guerra, uh, Mauricio Dubon, Moncada. I mean, yeah, I think Dubon and Longy were the two oldest players in that infield, and they turned 20 during the season. I That's mean, it's insane. it's crazy, and now you look at the drive roster this year in 2019. And the Red Sox obviously drafted young last year with Tristan Casas as the first rounder last year. He was a commit to uh, Vanderbilt and he's 19 years old playing first base. Brandon Hallett, our third baseman was a commit to Florida state drafted out of high school. So, I mean, you look at those two kids and they're both 19 years old and you look at them and you're like, I don't remember playing against 19 year olds like that when I was in high school.
0: No, uh, at 19, I was in the Army um, waking up from hangovers mostly after we got out of the field. And, and, and well, that's a good segue because not, not only the player movement, but what are what are some of the other challenges that a minor league franchise and business wise too, not just with the players? But what are some of the challenges that a minor league franchise faces that, you know, a major league sponsor, the Red Sox don't have to deal with?
2: Um, I mean, obviously, at the major league level, the fans are there for the team they're there to see the team win um, win championships it really is all about the team and major league baseball has kind of gone through a shift though in the last three four years to be a little bit more like the minor leagues and putting a bigger emphasis on the fan experience because at the end of the day going to a major league baseball game is expensive just to go to watch a team win or lose and if you're you know a team at the bottom of the standings you know your core business is your fans that are baseball purists. And if you're losing, you've got to figure out how to get people there. Whereas the minor league side is kind of the complete opposite. I mean, 15% of our fans are the baseball purists. Yeah. The other 85, 80% is the folks looking for a good family atmosphere, affordable, affordable, um, attraction for them to spend their discretionary income. And when you look at how we kind of go to market as an organization, our or, our marketing materials, our messaging, our even the news outlets that we market with isn't towards the baseball purist, the baseball fan, because they're going to come. It's to mom. Our Our marketing plan is to mom and millennials. Because it's really, I mean, this market... Greenville, it's a lot of young folks wanting to move here, live here. So, what are they doing? How are they engaging with their friends? And then, on the flip side, it's at the end of the day, mom is making the decision in the household of where the money is being spent, the discretionary income. And when you can pitch to somebody listen, a family of four can come to a ball game, get four physical seats, four hot dogs, four sodas, and a big tub of popcorn, and have three to four hours of family time without the kids just staring at their phones. For under $50, 60 that's a really good message. I mean, I tell people, myself, my girlfriend, and two friends just went to the movies three weeks ago. We went to IMAX, and the tickets alone were $84 for four of us. I mean, that's insane when you can then come to a ball game and get all that for yeah, less.
0: Yeah, when we uh, – I moved down here in 2015. Chase is originally from Greenville. Uh, but when we first came to the Drive Stadium, it was actually a little business. Um, our company – rented out this area below us and uh when I first came here I thought wow what a, what an amazing stadium and then since that year so 2016 this is our third year owning the uh, the weekend pass mm-hmm. and people you know think gosh that, you know back in Maryland they say how, how much does that cost you and I said honestly it's like 500 bucks after the gift cards they give mm-hmm. you it's 500 bucks we get 13 games uh you know the kids can go over to the playground which is mostly where they yeah. go <laughs> I mean there's so much to do here at the stadium it it really is uh I don't, to me, it's the best ballpark in minor league baseball.
2: Um, well, thank and- you. We, we pride ourselves on that. Our owner, uh, Craig Brown, is amazing. Um, I mean, th- this is of the 160 minor league stadiums, this is one of a handful that is actually 100% privately funded. Um, so when the stadium was first built in 05, groundbreaking was May of 2005. We opened April 6, 2006, so a very tight timeline to get this constructed i remember being here
1: that night and they were still trying to get things up
2: yeah i mean my my joke to people is april 6 2006 we were still screwing in seats at about four o'clock that day we were so engulfed with making sure everything else was right i kid you not at 5 50 10 minutes before gates open we look at the flagpole and a bunch of us looked around we're like did anyone get an american flag (laughs) and we and we had no everyone's like uh no so we ran we drove to home depot as quick as we could and bought i mean bought the biggest size they had but it was still meant for a residential for a house not a stadium so it was not the the flag on opening day (laughs) in 2006 was not to scale um but that i mean it was such a tight timeline but i mean The stadium was fully funded um, by our ownership group back in 06. Um, We've done some little improvements over the years uh, because our our owner is, you know, he wants to make sure that we keep the fan experience fresh. So some years, some of those uh, enhancements aren't as noticeable to the fans. Um, But obviously we made a big splash in 2017 when we did about $15 million in upgrades to the stadium. And about two-thirds of that was... Funded by our ownership group the other five million a third of that came from the city Um, and it really wasn't that we needed the money from the city it was more validation on our point our part that the city saw what we had done with the the value you're bringing yeah what we had done for the city what we had done for the West End so it was really them validating what we had done over our first 12 years at that point and they said hey let us provide some tax money or uh, some of the hospitality tax money to, to help with that. And again, it wasn't that we needed it, but it was it was validation at that point. And really, those enhancements we did in 17, each had a baseball component to it. But more importantly, it had a non-game event component to it. Like um, the Champions
0: Club. Yeah, the Champions uh,
2: Club, the rooftop. We gutted our old front offices and turned that into the season ticket holder lounge. That's 2,500 square feet of space that can be rented out the on a non-game. The Yeah, the front yeah. porch. So really, it was how can we grow our business outside of baseball season? And that's our biggest growth opportunity moving forward. Cause we know at the end of the day, as we're budgeting for each year, we've got 70 drive games. That's never going to change dramatically. Yes. We may have a lot of rain like we did in 2018 and have five or six rainouts, but we're never all of a sudden going to go from 70 home games to being a short season club that has 35 home games, or we're not all of a sudden going to have hundred home games. So we know we have 70 drive games to plan around each year. We have 30 to 35 high school and college games. So at the end of the day, we've got 200 plus days remaining where what else can the ballpark be utilized for to grow our bottom line? And yes, the baseball side of things is our major revenue generating product. I mean, that is the core business, but it is how can we have the ballpark used for other entertainment options outside of baseball?
0: Yeah, and ha- having not been here in 2005 and 6 when it was built, I presume just from seeing other businesses pop up that, you know, this was the anchor for the West End development. And and Chase, being a local, you you probably can confirm that as yeah.
2: well. Yeah, I mean, the funny story our, our owner tells is, you know, anytime a, a new stadium is planned for a minor league market, one, when the when the G Braves left after 18 years, this opened up Greenville – opened up as a as a pretty desirable place there are about four or five teams that were looking to relocate here that all put in bids with the city with minor league baseball minor league baseball has to approve it first um, and as our, as craig says he was either smart enough or stupid enough to say hey we want to put the stadium in the heart of downtown and we'll fully fund it without any city money uh, one of the other ownership groups that was looking to move here wanted to put the stadium out on woodruff road which I think would have been a, a nightmare. Um, one of the other groups wanted to demolish old Municipal Stadium and rebuild there. I mean, that's a great, there's a lot of land out there, but at the end of the day...
1: He may have been uh, a marked man if he didn't. Yeah. You? That's a piece of <laughs> Greenville history. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and I mean, what Greenville Little League has done to that site oh, is, is amazing. And, I mean, the other part of that is, at least when you come to Flora Field in downtown, you can either come here in the second or third inning because you've been at other restaurants, other bars, and made your way down here, you can leave early and then go do those things. Or you can leave after the game and do those I mean, you go out to the old site at Malden Road, you're there from start to finish because there's nothing else around it. Um, But the story Craig tells is, you know, once this got approved, minor league baseball, major league baseball have to send um, a lawyer out, a site surveyor to to analyze the site, make sure it's going to be safe, things like that. And in 2004, 2005, the West End wasn't wasn't a great place to be in. And um, the site surveyor for minor league baseball stayed at the Hyatt, had to walk from the Hyatt at about seven o'clock at night, walk all the way down here, and walk all the way back, and make it back safely. And strike says there was no guarantee that that was going to happen. Um, not so, yeah, so I mean, luckily, you know, everything was okay, and we've been, we were approved, and I mean, it's, it's been an amazing run.
0: Yeah, and it's, I, it's, a, it's the flagship, you know, minor um, league sports franchise here in Greenville. You had mentioned the Swamp Rabbits, now we have the Greenville Triumph. I mean, how much, how much do you all mentor those organizations? Swamp Rabbits this past season were unaffiliated with any NHL, um, you know, big league teams. Um, But, you know, the Greenville Triumph, this is their inaugural season. How much did they come to you all as an organization, maybe you as the general manager, for advice to to how to run a successful minor league franchise?
2: Um, A a good bit. We've actually been a little bit more, not hands-on, but have provided a little bit more Information, just things we've noticed throughout operating here for 14 years, more so to the Triumph this year. And really that goes back to the relationship, the long term relationship that we've had with Joe and Doug Irwin um, with the Triumph. Uh, you know, Irwin Penland was our marketing agency for the drive when we first came to market in 05. And that went back to the relationship between Craig, our owner, and Joe. Joe was actually uh, worked for Craig in the ad agency up in New York for years before Joe came down here um, so they had a previous relationship um, so really you know we've we when the triumph vest we'll give them information on how we staff security protocols that we've done in years past or year over year to make the ballpark more safe things like that and really that kind of goes back I Kind of had a relationship with Chris Lewis when he was with the Swamp Rabbits and prior to that with the Road Warriors and things like that. Um, so we, we, you know, we try to help each other as best we can. Um, but at the end of the day, it's almost like all three are totally different products too. Um, especially when you're trying to start out new and it's soccer and how's that going to work and playing at, you know, having to pay your players, having the, all those travel costs because you're not affiliated. So there's. There's things that they're encountering that we obviously can't provide any background on because I have no idea. Yeah, it's not the same. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, and again, kind of going back to what you were saying about what the development of this ballpark, like you said, and what this place was before this ballpark existed. Anybody that's from this area had been to this area, you know, prior to that. It's amazing to see what it's become because, like you said. You know, me originally being from here, I knew what the West End was like, you know, twenty mm-hmm. years ago. And I saw the piece of property before the ground was ever broke. If somebody would have no, told you, you were really, <laughs> No. <laughs> but, but if you if you would have told somebody five years prior to this place being built, like, hey, we're gonna put a, a yeah. minor league stadium there and it's gonna be right there in the heart of downtown and everything's gonna flow smoothly. People would have thought you were insane. Yeah. Because Part of downtown number one, where are people going to park? What are you going to do? Nobody wants to be on the West End. And this truly kickstarted the entire revitalization of a city.
2: Yeah, it's it's been unbelievable. I mean, obviously, it really started with, you know, Max Heller's vision of what downtown should look like. Knox White coming in then, doing what they did with Falls Park, the Peace Center, and then kind of us coming in doing this. Watching that over the last 12, 13 years fill in from here to Falls Park to where almost Falls Park is the heart of downtown yeah. and not the Hyatt anymore, that side. I mean, you've got North Main, you've got South Main. And now, even with the growth past the ballpark into what's becoming the West Village of Greenville, which is kind of becoming an arts district, I mean, it's almost like the ballpark is everything's kind of shifting to where three, four years with the construction that's going on, the residential that's going on around the ballpark, past the ballpark, the ballpark is going to be seen to newcomers as the middle of downtown, not Falls Park. Um, So it's, it's been amazing to see that transformation. I don't think anyone could have ever predicted this type of growth. I think this is what everyone hoped for, what the vision was, but for it to be as powerful as it has been in such a short amount of time, there's other communities who have built new ballparks who come to visit downtown greenville to see what has happened and they think it it can happen just as quickly and i you know there i think columbia with their new ballpark it's going to be very successful they have visions for that connecting but obviously that's a little bit further out and it's going to take a little bit more time for for that ballpark to have kind of the growth in between from their downtown to the ballpark as us but I mean, I've been from Philly, I have family and friends that come down a lot, and they are just amazed with the amount of residential, the, how beautiful downtown is, the restaurants, the bars, the peace center, the, the amenities that you have, and really then at the end of the day what the cost of living is here compared yeah. to a Philadelphia, compared to a New York, to a Baltimore. And I, that's what I kind of tell everybody is you get the big city feel in terms of sports, Broadway shows, restaurants, bars without the big city crime and congestion.
0: Yeah. Uh, people complain about traffic down here, and I laugh at them. i yeah. like, you don't even know what traffic is. Yeah, I,
2: we hosted <laughs> the Minor League Baseball promo seminar uh, two years ago in 17, and we had about 1,600 um, people from across the industry in Greenville. Most of them, it was their first time ever to Greenville, including the president of Minor League Baseball, Pat O'Connor. And most of them are based out of New York or Tampa, and they'll say, Eric, where do you live? I'm like, oh, I live in Simpsonville. You know, on a good day, it'll take me 15 minutes to get to work. On a bad day, man, when I hit traffic, it'll take me 25, 30 minutes, and that's brutal. And they'll be like, <laughs> we live in New York. It, it's a good day. It'll take us two hours to get yeah. to work.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I lived in Baltimore, I lived uh, north of the city in uh, basically Towson and worked in Columbia. Oh, yeah. and, you know, 35 miles, it was guaranteed an hour and a half <laughs> yeah. each, each way, yeah. you know, and it could it could take three hours. How are we on time? You good, you good on time? I'm good. Okay. All right, let's keep. All
1: right, so now that we've talked about, obviously, Field means to the community of Greenville and the city let's uh let's talk about some jewelry shall we because well obviously people can't see this here but we'll get some pictures for you we're looking at Eric's uh very own Mm -hmm. World Series ring from 2018 Boston Red Sox presented to him as the general manager of this team tell us about the journey to the World Series players that have come through there that were a part of that and what it's like to be given a piece of hardware like that
2: yeah so for I it's the Red Sox Third World Series since we've been aff- an affiliate of theirs. They won in 07, 13, and uh, this past year in an 18. And each one's been special, but to us, the 18 World Series has been the most special because it's the club that the most drive alumni had an impact on. When you look at that team, you had six of the everyday players played in Greenville at some point and eight total guys on the World Series roster. I mean, the entire outfield played here in Greenville at some yeah, point. Bradley. Jackie, Bra- Jackie, unfortunately, was here for, like, the quickest stint of anybody. Yeah. He was here at the end of 2011, played in five games. They were all on the road. Um, so we actually have no photos of Jackie in a Greenville Drive uniform at home because he never – we have more photos. Jackie played more games as a, at Floor Field as a member of the University of South Carolina yeah. than he did with the Greenville Drive, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is crazy. Um, but, yeah, you yeah, had yeah, Jackie in 2011. Benintendi in 2015 and and Mookie in 2013 as a second baseman Uh, and then you looked at the infield Christian Vasquez was here in uh, 2010 and 2011 Um, catching every day now Uh, Raphael Devers at at third base and Xander Bogarts at short I mean really the only positions that we couldn't claim were second base and first base and as we jokingly told people well we'll kind of claim Steve Pierce too since he played at University of South Carolina we'll we'll take credit for that one as well yeah only an hour and a half away 45 minutes so I mean to see those guys have the success that they had last year made that World Series that much more special I mean for a club to go pretty much wire to wire in the regular season with the best record And then, I mean, because that can take a toll on you in a 162-game season. To go wire-to-wire in that division, win win the AL East, and then have to beat the Yankees, the Astros, and the Dodgers. I mean, it was like the first time ever that a team had to face three 100-win clubs in the playoffs. I mean... And I don't think they were actually even because of what they had done in the regular season. People figured they're going to be hung over for the playoffs. Yeah, they're not going to get. I, I think every it's pretty, hard to maintain that momentum. Yeah, it really is, and it's I think most most national media broadcast broadcasters had them losing in one of those rounds. Yeah. People were picking the Yankees. People then picked the Astros. People picked the Dodgers.
1: People certainly picked the Dodgers by the time mm-hmm. they got to the World Series. Yeah. They had, I mean, media alone had basically chalked the Red Sox up to maybe one of the greatest teams we've seen in the modern era of baseball, but they're going to lose to the Dodgers. And when they won each of those series, they won them. Yeah. I mean, they didn't go out there. It wasn't a thing of, hey, we squeaked one by you. Yeah. They won.
2: Yeah, they did. I mean, there were some heart racing games, obviously, (laughs) in each of those series. The. One game against the Dodgers that seemed to take forever, um, that went into the dead of night. Yeah. Um, I mean, the like game. Yeah, or something like I. We had an event that night out with one of our brewery partners, and it finally, I was just like, oh my God, it's like four in the morning. I have to go home. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, the the way the series ended with the Astros, with Ben Intendi's ridiculous catch in left field, uh, with Bregnan, I mean, you know the the Astros come back and win that game. Who knows what happens in that series? Yeah. Um, so I that mean. Very little holes in it. Yeah. And when you're in a division like theirs, where they can kind of run away with it mm-hmm. and rest guys, I mean, the AL East, I mean, it's getting strong. Obviously, you've got the Red Sox and the Yankees, but now Tampa Bay's playing strong. Yep. Toronto can be there. I mean, the Orioles, no one's really worried about them, I guess. Not this year, but (laughs) I think think developmentally. um, if they can hold on to those guys, yeah, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, yeah, you you know, the Red Sox last year, the winner of the AL East this year is not going to be fortunate enough to be able to rest guys come, you know, towards the end of the season like the Astros have been able to do. Um, And maybe that helped the Red Sox last year. I think it hurt them to start this year then because they obviously gave a lot – they played – a lot longer than most teams. They gave guys rest during spring training, so they kinda of got out of the gate this year slow. But again, at the end of the day, it is about winning championships and they and they did that last year. So then, you know, obviously with last year's club having so many drive alumni and then for me personally seeing those guys succeed, but then it was this is my first World Series ring. So, you know, when a when a club wins the World Series, I think every major league team does this, each minor league affiliates owner and general manager get a ring um so this was my first one uh and it's i mean it's freaking impressive i mean when they came when they unveiled them to the players uh, on opening day in Boston. I was like, oh my God, Like I cannot wait to see this thing up close. And then we got ours about three weeks later.
0: Now they ship those down or is there a ring ceremony where someone from the, from the uh, parent franchise comes down and, and presents them?
2: So Ben Crockett, our, uh, the Red Sox VP of player development, he brought them down. He came down. Um, it was a Thursday in May. Um, and he presented them to – So he, and each of the, the coaching staff members that were in the organization last year get them as well. So he presented them on field prior to a drive game to our manager, Iggy Suarez, pitching coach, Bob Kipper, uh, hitting coach, Nelson Paulino, our strength coach, Ricky DeLuna, and then our owner, Craig Brown, and myself. And that was, I mean, it's, it was really cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So how often do you get to actually wear the thing? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm guessing maybe a Christmas party, you throw the thing on for conversation purposes. Yeah.
2: You know, I mean, I'll obviously take it at home to show friends when I go home at, at Thanksgiving or Christmas I've probably worn it about three times um since i got i mean it's huge yeah. um so <laughs> it's not you know it's not something you would wear every day i the joke i tell people if i was single i would wear it every day <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> um but yeah I, you know for the most part i mean the ring is spectacular the box that it comes in that it lights up when you open it and things like that i mean it's I I think it's cool just having it displayed in my office and it sits right next to our South Atlantic League championship ring from that. I kind of have like a little uh, display in my office. It's the the 18 World Series ring. It's the 17 South Atlantic League championship ring. And then actually when we won our 17 championship, um, we celebrated a little hard that night with the guys and everything. And I actually have a. Uh, gold bottle of Ace of Spades champagne that I then had the entire team autograph. So that oh, all kind of that's sits really together, cool.
0: and that's a much better display than uh, my um, fantasy football trophy that I have in my <laughs> office at work. So shifting gears a little bit um, to to current playing right now. So you guys are currently uh, split series with the Delmarva Shorebirds, um, you know my my hometown uh, uh, single A affiliate up there in Maryland. But they're also, you know, league leading right now. Yeah. Uh, I think we looked at the record last night. They're forty-two and twelve, if I'm not mistaken, or forty-one and twelve. Forty-one and twelve. After forty-one last and game. twelve, so pretty pretty strong uh, yeah. team. We came on uh, Thursday night, and you know, it was it was a bit of a runaway for the Shorebirds. But looking back at last night, Drive took it, I think, three to two. Yep. Um, so we've got two more games left in this series. You know, how do, how do these guys prepare for you know the the, the league leading team right now?
2: Yeah, I don't, you know, when it's the minor leagues versus the major leagues, you don't have as much scouting reports on the visiting team and things like that. Uh, obviously, they're preparing, they're looking at the guys' stats so they know how good this team is playing. Um, they do have a limited amount of resources of video and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, they're, they're going in working on situations. It's, it's more about developing themselves, working on certain situations than, hey, who are we playing you know, and things like that. It's it's mentally preparing themselves to get to the next level. Um, obviously, the, the Shorebirds team has had an incredible run here to start. I think they they won their opening day. They lost game two of the season and then went on a 15-game winning streak, um, which is impressive at any level. Uh, well, we I saw
1: two home runs get hit the other night, and there's no doubt in my mind that both of these were a minimum of 434.
2: Yeah. I, and
1: this kid...
0: Well, one of them hit the, hit the warehouse back there because yeah, we were up on the monster and it went right over our heads. Yeah, would have gone much farther.
2: Yeah, thankfully the building was in the way to stop it. <laughs> no, but yeah, it, it's 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 been an, it's been a fun team to watch in terms of the drive. But this Shorebirds team, I don't remember a team coming in and being this dominant. And yeah, they they beat us the other night ten to two, I think it was, and we rebounded last night to win three to two. But, I mean, you just look at their stats, and obviously they're they're 41 and 12. But, I mean, their run differential is a plus like 83 right now, wow. which is insane yeah. through 53 games because, obviously, if you've lost 12, you've scored less. So, even if you lost all 12 of those games by, say, a run, which isn't possible, you're plus you're, the games you've won, the 41 games, you've outscored your opponents, but you're winning those games by three, four, five runs, yeah. which is just insane. Yeah. And and their pitching's been top notch. I mean, obviously you saw what they did to us offensively the other night, but they've got one starter with a 1.47 ERA right now, and another starter with a 1.72. So I mean, and they're, they're getting it done. On, guys, no, they're yeah, they're getting it done on both sides. Yeah, I mean they had
0: they. I mean they were leading by nine runs, I think, uh, before we hit. Uh, I think it was a home run that knocked in the second run on Thursday night. And they had already rotated out three guys, and I, I thought, why, why rotate these guys out? I mean, yeah, they're, yeah, they're sure. all pitching you know, lights out right now, but get them rest.
2: Yeah, and again, it comes down to the development. I mean, people ask that question too, the Red Sox. I mean, we start our season, and all of the starting pitchers are on like five innings or 60 pitches, whatever comes first. Doesn't matter what you're pitching at that point. Then as we hit warmer weather, they start to get stretched out more, and you'll see guys go seven innings, eight Unless the guy's pitch count is unbelievably low, like Greg Maddox low, a guy's never going to throw a nine-inning game for us. Um, So that's when you'll see like a Thad Ward threw a complete game the other night for us. It was game one of a doubleheader. So he threw seven and he still gets credit with a complete game. But again, at this level, yeah, I mean, they want the guys to win because they want to develop that culture. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is the developmental process because you don't want to flame out in single A. Your end goal is to be sitting at a locker in Fenway Park winning World yeah. Series, not yeah, exactly. sitting at your locker at Floor Field winning South Atlantic League champions. Right. right.
0: It's not just about
1: wins and losses. Yeah. I mean, their goal here – and I think that's what, a, you know, for a lot of our listeners that don't – you know, if they live in a major city where, you know, they have a professional baseball team, minor league doesn't mean much to them. Yeah. And they don't understand that is the core purpose of minor league. It is not just winning ball games. It is – they're there to help that player become successful move him on it's almost like you know using the analogy of a college player well yes we want you to win in college that's what the coach is there for but ultimately he's guiding you for potentially the next step in life which is professional sports so you know that's that was good that you know you brought that up that it's not just about wins and losses it's the the 100 main focus is player development
2: yeah and again when you look at our business model as an organization, like I said earlier, when the core baseball fan is a very small majority of our fan base of who comes to the games that 10 to 15%. I mean, you can at the 85% that are coming here, they're coming for the experience. They And honestly, when we've polled fans before, when we do surveys to find out like what, how do we need to change our marketing plan from year to year? They, they honestly say, from a if they're not a baseball fan, if they're not a pure baseball fan, they'll say honestly the wins and losses don't. We want an exciting game, yeah. with a lot going on. We don't want the drive to win twelve to two, and we don't want them to lose twelve to two because that can get very boring. Yeah. And I, again, you know, you look back at you know, 2014 is one of our worst record years, ever. But overall, that's our best attendance season. Which is shocking. Um, it's wow. you know not a whole lot of rain in 2014. A lot of good promotions throughout the year with our community partners and things like that. We could surpass it this year. I think right now we're on pace to to have our best attendance year ever. Um, and again, I mean the team's playing good, but we're not in first place, so it's not like that's what's driving. The attendance. Yeah. I mean, obviously, at the beginning of the year, having Dustin Pedroia helps a lot. Um, but uh, <laughs> last you know,
0: year, Tim Tebow coming through. With yeah, and twenty. Yeah, in
2: twenty seventeen. Yeah, Tebow was in seventeen. Oh, so was seventeen? Yeah, it was okay. seven, yeah. My years all run together too. So, um, but yeah, it's those things help. As I mean, as I joke to people, you you have to have a sustainable business model because really, when we opened in 'o six, the first couple of years we're going to draw really well because it's a new ballpark. People want to see it, but it's what are you doing? The you know, after your first five years, what are you doing after that honeymoon period is over? And really it's our being so ingrained in the community, working with so many community partners, being a part of the fabric of the upstate community that's helped us sustain that. Cause our, we have averaged 325,000 fans a season across the, our first 13 plus years. Now the G Braves best year as a double A affiliate of the Braves in a bigger stadium in 18 years, their best year was 278,000 fans. Wow. So, I mean, again, at the end of the day, it's really about what are we doing at the ballpark versus the – the whether it's an Atlanta A or a Boston B on our guys' hats.
0: The – the community here in Greenville, we've talked a little bit about it. You just brought it up, the, the attendance records um, compared to the, the Greenville Braves as they were playing. You know, As a general manager, how do you want to make sure the Drive stays involved in the local community? And I guess that segues also into like, what community outreach or uh, charity initiatives do, do does the Drive participate in on, on a yearly basis? Yeah,
2: so I mean, we look at our schedule and obviously we have 70 home games and right away we can look at it and go, okay, half of that season, half the season every year, is Thursday, Friday, Saturday games. And those are really your staples across any minor league franchise. Thursday's dollar drink night. So, we're, you know, we're, we're marketing to millennials. Friday is fireworks. Saturday's a big community night is, or uh, family night as well where we may bring in like a Superstars or a Birds are somebody like that. And we kind of let our young sales staff say, okay, guys, those 35, 36 games of the season, we want you as our sales team to focus on those games, sell as many groups, picnics, single game tickets into those nights. Then as a management team, our owner, our VP of marketing, our VP of finance, our VP of ticket sales, and myself, we look at the rest of the schedule, the other 36 games, the Sunday through Wednesday games, and say, okay, what community organizations, charities can we partner with where they can use the ballpark as an extension of their platform to get their messaging out in a, in a fun, engaging way? We've already got a core fan base with our season ticket holders and other folks that are already going to come to that game. So it gives them a platform to get their messaging out. Then how can we use those organizations, whether it's Greenville County Schools, Prisma Health, United Way of Greenville, Hubble Lighting, BMW? How can we then use their databases of employees, families, outreach to then get additional people into the ballpark? And that's really what we're doing Those other, the other half of the season to keep our attendance level where it's at. Because honestly, if we don't do anything like that, we'll have 1,500 people, 2,000 people here on a Tuesday night in June. But when we can layer in an initiative like advanced manufacturing is a, is a prime example, a lot of other teams look at us and go, what is your advanced manufacturing night? And it's basically, we know there, You know, we are blessed to have companies in this region like Michelin, BMW, Hubble Lighting, uh, GE, Bosch Rexroth, who they are trying to develop the next layer of workforce. And manufacturing today is different than it was 30 years ago. It's all robotics. It's yeah. really interesting now. You've got AJ Wittenberg Elementary School that focuses on that. You've got Fisher Middle that focuses on that. So it's a focus of this region. And as we try to develop the next set of e- the next ecosystem and um, level of employees we partner with those organizations on a Tuesday in July where we get a lot of kids from across the counties to come out BMW has all their robotics here kids can interact with it and we'll have 6,000 people at a Tuesday night in July which is un- unheard of yeah and it's really about everything that's going on at the game and the concourse and not so much the baseball game itself and yeah. it's really that's what we're doing the other 35 games outside of Thursday through Saturday games to keep our attendance, to keep our revenue coming in. We celebrate Greenville County students across and other counties across many different levels with reading achievement, with athletic uh, achievement and not even so much athletics on the field, but what the student athlete is doing in the classroom. We're, we're recognizing Greenville County school teachers um, at games and things like that. So it's, it's doing things like that to recognize community leaders, um, to have them use the ballpark and as, a, as, an extension of their platform.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, my kids have been in the reading club, yeah. you know, in the summers and, uh, the, I, I guess it's the Reedy, uh, Reedy's kids club yep. uh, that they're a part of. So, um, it's, uh, and
2: it's, there's tangible evidence you can look at. Cause I mean, really, when we unfortunately still at the end of the day, South Carolina in terms of the nation ranks low in graduation rates low in health care and it's how can we help in a fun and engaging way increase that level so where the upstate in the state of south carolina continues to be an area that people want to move to work basically work live and play and again it's it's those programs that we're doing because you look at the the reading program we started that 12 years ago so you've got kids now that started in that program in first grade did it all the way through eighth grade. They may have then hit high school where we're now recognizing student athletes for their in the classroom performance. And those kids who have maybe participated in the the reading program are now student athletes. So they've been engaged with us on an educational side since the time they hit first grade through the time they graduate high school. And you can look at how the graduation rates have increased year over year. You can see even how the student athlete gpa has increased tremendously over the last four or five years and we're not i'm not saying we're taking all the credit for that there's a partnership there between greenville county school but you can see tangible evidence when you have strong partnerships like that the results that come from it
1: and you guys are not just in and it's like what brian said his kids being involved in that club because my kids are involved in it as well and have been since first grade you guys are stretching beyond the city of greenville and greenville county all of these surrounding counties you know pickens county anderson county spartanburg county you guys are involved with all that so you're truly reaching a very broad spectrum of the entire upstate of south carolina to help which is you know you can't say that you know, for other organizations maybe that are in a city like this where they keep everything within that city you guys are branching out and covering millions of people yeah so
2: yeah and again at the end of it, the- i mean that's We're located in Greenville, but we pride ourselves on being a part of the upstate. Right. Um, And that's important to us. We have many relate. We're involved with the Spartanburg Chamber. We're involved with the Anderson Chamber. It's important to us that we have nights focusing on those communities as well, because at the end of the day, it's about the region's success as a whole. And if you're trying to compete with the research triangle, with Raleigh and Durham and communities like that who are working together, you can't work in isolation and say, oh, it's Greenville versus Spartanburg versus Anderson versus Pickett. We all have to work together for the region to be successful. Right.
1: Because ultimately when people want to come in, you know, you don't know that they'll come to Greenville. They yeah. might go somewhere else and you want it all to be one big thing. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I, I actually lived up in the Raleigh-Durham area um, and went to a couple of Durham Bulls games and then the Carolina Mudcats out yeah. in Zebulon. So uh, I think I think it's Zebulon yep. uh, or Zebulon. I <laughs> um yeah and you you brought up a good point or at least uh something that I had studied in my in my business school and MBA program and coincidentally we studied the Paul Tuckett Red Sox which I don't believe uh, are the Paul Tuckett Red Sox in still in existence yeah yeah they're still the
2: AAA team for the Red Sox actually um part of fenway sports group purchase that they're they're moving and i don't know what the official year is but they're moving to providence so they're building a brand new ballpark in providence it has the paul tuckett community kind of in an uproar that they're moving the team after being in paul tuckett for so long but i mean honestly it's it's similar to the situation here i mean paul tuckett tried to get a new stadium i'm not really sure the financial dynamics that were ever discussed but they kind of fell through and that's kind of why they're le- leaving to go to providence yeah. so it'll be it'll be interesting it, but yeah i mean paul tuckett is still the red sox triple a people have asked us like this city this community this ballpark can support double a triple a i
0: was gonna ask you what that. are the is chances any- of that
2: ever happening and honestly with everything that's going on with minor league baseball and how um player development contracts work and how realignment would have to happen i mean you can look at the south atlantic league as a whole and there are some very strong organizations very strong ballparks within our league that you could make the case that greenville columbia charleston greensboro based on our attendances we should be in the carolina league or the southern league or um, uh, lakewood for instance they're they're in our league lakewood new jersey they should be in the eastern league but there'd have to be a lot of shifting going on. Obviously the Red Sox AA affiliate is in Portland, Maine, so close to Boston. So if we were to ever move up within classification, I don't I don't think we could be a Boston affiliate anymore. Same with Lakewood. If they ever mo- decided hey, we want to be in the Eastern League, the Phillies' AA team is in Reading, very close to Philadelphia. Yep. You'd have a lot of shifting going on in terms of affiliations and things like that, and I think that would open up a whole can of worms that people don't really want to discuss yet so again I, you know we look at our league and it's a i would say the south atlantic league is the strongest league probably from top to bottom uh in terms of our teams i mean we're very strong with us lakewood greensboro charleston columbia the new ballpark in north augusta um the lexington legends i mean it, there's some very there, looking at that
0: ballpark in uh, augusta the other day that's the one you and i were looking at okay yeah, yeah, that
2: opened up last year. I mean, it's a beautiful ballpark. They've done a great job. It's technically in South Carolina now. It's in North Augusta, South Carolina. It's on the riverfront. They have a master plan to redevelop that whole area um, with businesses and residential and retail. And I not for a game. Um, they hosted our league meetings last fall, so I got a chance. And it's a it's a beautiful ballpark. It's a somewhat similar setup. Very open concourse. Very intimate in terms of. I mean, we, we only have 4,500 fixed seats, and that's key to us that whether the crowd's 2,000 or 6,000 with standing room only, you get a strong feel every night. There's a lot of energy every night where if we built the stadium for our maxed-out games that happen once or twice a season, like the Clemson-Carolina game or when we're fortunate enough to have a Tebow or a Pedroia or an Eclipse – I mean, the, <laughs> the stadium would feel very cavernous on yeah. nights like that. So it's really about the intimacy, and that's what they've kind of replicated down in North Augusta. It's a, they've done a phenomenal job. The GM there is a good friend of mine. I'm on a couple boards with uh, their president uh, with minor league baseball, and they, they do a phenomenal job down there. And it's a beautiful ballpark. I think the South Atlantic League All-Star game is there in 2021. Okay.
0: Yeah, and actually, Chase uh, and I talked about popping around to a couple more of the uh, South Atlantic ballparks, heading up to, you know, maybe Asheville. Yep. That's a quick drive. And, and that's and, a pretty historic.
2: Yeah, ballpark. very historic. And then Kannapolis is getting a new stadium yeah. uh, in the next couple years as well. So, I mean, that's, at some point soon, you're going to have, in a 14-team league, more than half the team will have opened up a new ballpark. Um since 2005 onward because that's when greensboro opened in 05 we opened in 06 so i kind of lump us in that when you're talking about new stadiums
1: but that that just shows you that what minor league baseball as a whole is doing within their communities to have people stay engaged and you know like brian and i were talking the other day i mean we're baseball guys i mean i love going to wrigley field i love going to any major league game but there's something about minor league baseball games because you don't have the guys getting paid a hundred million dollar contracts. I mean, it is, is truly baseball in its purest form because it's guys out there that are still learning the ropes of professional baseball, still having fun. They're not doing it for money right now. And it's what you can see them become.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I, I love it at this level too because the ballpark is so intimate We are at the beginning stages of a player's career. So even if a guy like a Tristan Casas is the number one ranked prospect in the Red Sox organization, he hasn't necessarily made it yet. He's still in Greenville. So he is very engaged with the community. He's very engaged with the fans. It's great to see these guys interact with the fans because, I mean, it's funny to think sometimes that these guys are only 19 and only a very short time ago they were on the other side of the wall asking players for their autographs and stuff like that.
1: How was it to uh, see a hometown kid come back in this homestand that we've got? Some uh, what was his name? That oh, Will Robertson. About? Yeah, Will yeah, Robertson. Yeah. He uh, he's a hometown kid from Greenville, playing with the Orioles affiliate, the short the uh, the Shorebirds. How uh, has anybody got a chance to talk to him and say how how does it feel to come home now and play in front of? Yeah, which uh, high
2: school he went to Christchurch. Okay. Okay. So he played in, in Greenville Little League. He came up through Greenville Little League and then played at Christchurch and then went on to Davidson. Okay. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk with him yet since he's been here. Again, I kind of mm-hmm. let the guys just go about their their business. Yeah. Um, I've actually talked to his, uh, his mom. His mom sits on uh, – is part of public education partners, and we do some events with them. So I've actually talked to him. They've had a huge contingency of uh, family and friends at the games – uh, and things like that. And it's always fun to ha- I mean, cause it doesn't happen too often right, yeah. where a kid gets to come back on the visiting team and play here. Um, and I honestly I'll have to go back and look, I, he may have actually, when he was depending on what years he was at Christ church, he probably played a high school game here. Yeah. Um, but no, it's always fun. Cause we even Thursday night, his first game up when he, his first at bat, we even said, please welcome back to Greenville. Our PA announcer said, please welcome back to Greenville you know, Greenville Little League alum and Christ Church graduate Will Robertson, so yeah. I thought that was pretty cool that we were able to do that. Um, we've done- He was
1: lucky enough to be obviously, you know, drafted within an organization where he gets the chance to come back home, which is yeah. cool. So,
2: yeah, because there's obviously some, I mean, this is a great community. I mean, baseball is, I mean, moving from Pennsylvania to here where, you know, we're lucky enough, you know, we play 15 high school games because we're still practicing on a either in the gym or on a parking lot in March because it's could snow or it has snowed. Um, and it's 35 degrees outside. I mean to come down here and see the level of talent with high school baseball, it's amazing. And, and I mean, you look at Greenville high right across the street from us, Mm -hmm. Steve Scalomero, his son, um, Clark started out at university of South Carolina, transferred, finished out at North Greenville, drafted by the Indians. Mm -hmm. Um, Wesley Rogers, who played at JL Mann, he was drafted out of high school by the Red Sox, didn't sign, um, went to Spartanburg Methodist, I think, for a year or two, was a higher draft pick. He's with the Rockies organization. So when he was with the Rockies and playing in Asheville, he came back and got got to uh, play some games here uh, on as a visitor. His dad actually comes to a lot of drive games still, which is really cool to see that.
1: All right, so um... – I guess before we wrap things up, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, maybe tell the listeners who are going to be coming to the area for, you know, obviously this has become a very big vacation spot. Mm-hmm. So when they're going to come down here this summer, obviously I think that we've promoted enough where they definitely want to come check yeah. out Floorfield <laughs> yeah. and check out a drive mm-hmm. game. Um, tell them I mean where, where do they go if they want to purchase tickets, if they want to get more information or, you know, reach out to someone within the organization, help them out, tell them where they need to go.
2: Yeah, the best place to always start is our website at greenvilledrive.com. Always plenty of information there on the team, the organization, what's going on. Um, you can purchase tickets there. And again, our tickets are so affordable. They're 8 to $12 for the main seating bowl. The Green Monster seats are only $16. You go up to Fenway Park and sit on the Green Monster, it's going to cost you anywhere from $150 to $500, depending on who the opponent is. Um, and guys, the green monster seats are worth it. Yeah. They are. It, it,
1: it is a very, very, I mean, it's a beautiful view of the ballpark. You can see anything, a lot of action up there. It's, it's well worth the money to sit up there and get the, that experience. Yeah, we,
0: we sat up there Thursday night. We'll be-
2: it's a it. i always tell people if you're gonna sit up there you want to do it like april may or like a night game in july sunday afternoon games on yeah, that green monster in south we got carolina so lucky
1: with our seats the other night because the sun was still hitting the wall okay but we were just far enough down where we missed the sun and i mean it was a i mean it felt like a 30 degree difference yeah. the second we sat down and i was like perfect time perfect <laughs> seats it couldn't have been yeah. better it
2: is south carolina so it does get a little hot yeah uh, but then you know any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're constantly updating those accounts. Uh, just in the day and age that we live in, it's almost more important to have your social media pages oh, updated quicker uh, with more information than your own website. I mean, and people we'll put are checking tra-
1: all of the links to this stuff that Eric's talking about on our Twitter um, and send it out to everybody. That way, when you go to our Twitter, you'll be able to get links to everything um, that he's talking about and go directly from there to the website, purchase tickets, and
0: uh, get information. So, Brian, unless you have anything else, like, I do have one. I do have one last question. Okay. And early in the interview, you had made a you had made a comment, and mm-hmm. you probably saw him look at me, and we kind of snickered a little bit. Oh, and yeah. that is because uh, Chase likes to use the term, and you used it in this interview, a a purist, sure. a baseball purist. And in our first uh, episode, my rant was about the term purist, okay. because my <laughs> argument is there is nothing in any major league sport, whether it's the NFL, whether it's the NBA, whether it's Major League Baseball or baseball in general that is pure to when it was invented a hundred years ago or in baseball's case 150 years ago so do you do you agree with the term purist and if so what's your definition of a purist
2: well now that I'm getting asked I'll say that I don't agree with the term purist so I don't get bombarded um don't let his negativity shy you away from that no I mean I You know when I and I use the term purist, it's more about you know, you know when guys are playing it for the love of the game, or when people are coming because they're they are there. They're they're keeping score in their seat and things like that. They're invested in the play on the field. Um, And again, yeah, I mean the pure definition of baseball purist probably doesn't exist anymore. It's each individual's definition of it. Because I would say, before I got into this business, I would have said. I'm a baseball purist, I'm going to a baseball game, it's to watch the play on the field. Mm -hmm. Now that I work in the industry, I don't get to go to a whole lot of games outside of our season one because when I honestly when I go to any sporting event now, I spend the I get there early enough to where before the game starts, I walk around for the first hour and take Mm -hmm. pictures of what is the stadium doing from a concession standpoint. What are their trash cans? It's always business now. Yeah, it really is. I you know, I was fortunate enough again, huge Philadelphia guy huge eagles fan my dad had season tickets for 30 some years with the eagles a buddy and i went to minneapolis got tickets to the super bowl went to the super bowl my my buddy who went with me lives in new jersey uh still has season tickets to the eagles we literally get to uh the stadium and i'm walking around i'm taking pictures of condiment stations trash cans concession sands and he looks at me what the hell are you doing it's the super bowl <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so, I mean, that's kind of where my head goes to, to any game. Now, it was really cool. Last year, I actually went down, a buddy a buddy from here and I went down. When the our season had ended, Red Sox were playing in Atlanta against the Braves. Red Sox had set us up with some great seats, got to go on the field pregame to, you know, chat with some of the guys that had been in Greenville. And it was really cool. But I kid you not, we hit about the fourth inning, and I was like, What am I doing here? I just sat through 70 baseball games this whole season. We just drove two and a half hours to come to another game. It's 98 degrees. I'm sitting in a pool of my own sweat, and we got to drive two and a half hours back from Atlanta.
1: It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So after Brian's negativity of, of us talking about being pure. Well, no, 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 I gotta I got
0: say, Eric, you may, you may have changed at least my definition yeah, of yours yeah. to the point that I can support the term now. Well, it's oh, funny
2: because, you know, minor league baseball, you know, they experiment a lot with the rules. And last year we, they obviously instituted the extra inning rule, which people went nuts about, about what do you mean the 10th inning? You're going to start a runner on second base. Yeah. And yeah, I know, don't like that. I, uh, <laughs> So I'm going to give you my two versions of of, of of that rule, and you know they have, and again when we talk about it's all about development of the players and stuff like that. I mean when you got games going 15, 16 innings and you're burning through pitchers at this level, I mean the key is let's get the game over with because you don't want to have to bring in a position player to pitch and things like that. You don't want someone to get hurt, and because our starting pitchers, no matter how well they're doing, they're going to go a max of seven innings. So if all of a sudden you're playing into the 15th, 16th inning. I mean, you are using a lot of your bullpen. So when the rule was first announced, the baseball fan in me was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't believe they're going to do this rule. This is beer league softball. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The baseball operator, the minor league baseball stadium operator in me was like, oh my God, this is the greatest rule ever. Because honestly... There's a core group of us on our staff that are here from 7:30 in the morning, 8 a.m. in the morning on a game day, till the end of the game, till an hour past the game every night, no matter how long the game. So goes. you're
1: talking 16, 18 hours yeah. days being here, and a seven-game homestand. Yeah.
2: So the 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 employee side of me or the operator side of me was like, this rule is the greatest rule ever. We're not gonna go past the 10th or 11th inning. My staff's not going to get burned out. And honestly, going back to the baseball purist, the only fans still in the stands past even the seventh and eighth inning sometimes is the true baseball fan. Because when you're marketing to families, kids got to be in bed by a certain time. So it doesn't matter if we're in if it's nine o'clock and we're in the fourth inning because the score is eight to five or if we're in. It's 9 o'clock, and we're in, the game's about to end. They're leaving at that time no matter what because they've yeah, got to get the kids restless. to bed. Don't get me certain yeah. how many <laughs> games I've had to walk out <laughs> yeah. of when it's
0: closed because my wife says, the kids are to yeah. get in bed.
2: So, again, that, there were the two sides of me to that rule. The baseball fan of me was like, oh, this is horrible. The, the operator in me was like, oh, thank God, this gets the game to bed. I think I can agree quick. with both of them, though. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, and the term got brought up initially because uh, we started going over – the 2019 or yeah 2019 rule changes and then some of the other proposed changes. And one of the biggest ones that we I think we talked the longest about was, I guess, every year they proposed to move the mound back two feet. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> you know, we we got on a big nobody agreed with it, but for a variety of reasons. So. All right.
1: So, I mean, you
0: have anything else before I ask a final question? No, uh, I don't. So ask a final
1: question. <laughs> All right, so I guess ending this, again, Eric, thank you so you much for forward, having me. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having us and allowing us to come in here, sit in the beautiful ballpark while it's empty. Mm-hmm. And, um, you and
2: know, there's actually a breeze, so we're not yeah, like sweating. Is,
1: <laughs> um, you know, and come out here and take time out of your day on a game day to do this interview. So I guess just the final question, the lead out is, what do you see for the future of this organization five years down the road to not only continue to grow to gain in popularity what I guess what's the next step forward to uh, to the future of this organization
2: I mean really the future of this organization is one on the baseball side is keeping the product fresh which we try to do every year Um, you know we had the major renovation and enhancements in 2017 I don't think you'll see us do anything to that extent for a long time again honestly I don't know right now what we could do to make the ballpark more baseball friendly. I mean, really the things we did in 2017 was kind of a list we started since opening day in 06 of, okay, what can we do, you know, to enhance the ballpark really from an organizational standpoint, our focus for the future is really on those additional opportunities outside of the baseball season. Um, we created basically – we, me personally, I've gotten to a place where I look at it as it's not the Greenville Drive. It's the core, or, the core uh, aspect of the business is floor field, and then we have two organizations underneath the venue. One is Greenville Drive and the baseball side of things, and the other one is West End Events, and that's our non-game day special events – um, you know, we're in the process right now of, you know, we've hosted craft beer festivals. We have Sphinx Run Fest. We have the Comen Walk. We have things like that. How can we continue to have people look at the ballpark as this is an incredible facility to have other events? It can compete with the convention centers and places like that to have really unique events. We hosted just a few weeks ago the, the kickoff gala to Artisphere. And that was an amazing setup that we had. And people look at it and said, holy cow, I didn't think you could do this with a ballpark. So it's changing people's mindsets of that way. We want to start to have more concerts. Um, We're in works right now. Major uh, announcement probably coming in the next week or two about our first ever big time concert here. That would be postseason. Again, the baseball side of things is our core business. So I don't think you'll see us have big festivals on the field or big concerts on the field in season but more like august september october when it is a little cooler in the fall the field has a much more time to recover but that's really where my head thinks or goes to when we look five ten years down the line with this organization is the baseball side is very important what can we do to continue to grow and enhance with technology and things like that on the fan experience but also there's this other side of things on the business side of how can we grow the usage of the ballpark when it's not being used for drive games? I think that's great. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And like you said, having having the field time to recover and stuff, because it's not like you know Fenway or Wrigley where they're going to resod this thing at the drop of a hat yeah. over a weekend yeah. just because Pearl Jam came. Yeah, down, I mean we know? did
2: we did our first major resod this past off season for the first time, um, and I, I, honestly the field probably could have gone another year or two before we needed to do that. And when you do a project like that, I mean it started. November twelfth, it started after our big uh, Veterans Day event that we had here, and it finished uh, about three weeks before the Clemson South Carolina game wow. in March. So I mean, it's a very quick turnaround when you're doing a project like that. But it's really, it's not even so much the layer of sod and grass that everyone sees. It's everything underneath of that. With all the rain that we had last year, we saw it does have incredible drainage, Yeah, it but does. But we saw that the drainage for the first 13 years was starting to be compromised based off all the rain we had last year and how long it would take to drain. So, I mean, the bulk of that work was ripping up the old sod, took out 80 tons of sand, kind of took out 10 inches of organic layer. You fill all that back in with Mm -hmm. fresh sand, fixed drainage pipes, added drainage pipes, fixed irrigation. And then you, the sod honestly takes like three days during that whole time period to get laid. It's really everything that's underneath. But that was a, almost a half a million dollar project this past off season that to the layman, they come in and say, the grass looks beautiful. What'd it you does. guys do? Very expensive. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, you know, a team like the Red Sox or the Cubs or any major league team where budget's not really an issue when it comes to the field because they just hosted Pearl Jam or somebody like that. They can, with their crew, they can resod that quick. Yeah. We're, we're, we don't have that luxury. I'm gonna let you take it on. All right, well, uh, folks,
0: we're uh, ending the interview now. Uh, again, this was Eric Jarenko, uh, Gr- uh, general manager of the Greenville Drive, the single-A affiliate of the 2018 uh, world champion Boston Red Sox. Eric, want to appreciate your time today. Uh, say thank you for the time. It's uh, been a pleasure sitting here in the ballpark, as we just mentioned, with a nice breeze coming yeah. through in the shade. So thank you so much for your time.
2: Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. This was great. All right. Hope you know we'll again soon. For sure. Alright
1: guys, that was our new segment The Cornfields, and it is dedicated to the farm system of Major League Baseball, as promised. Brian, uh, with that interview with Eric,
0: I guess, what would you take away from that interview? Well, what I took away is what I knew already uh, from business school, and that is, you know, Minor League Ball is about the the venue, what happens outside of the actual baseball game that is occurring. Um, And I know personally bringing you know bringing the kids down there. You and I both bring our kids down there. Heck, we were just there on Wednesday night together uh, watching the baseball game between the Greenville Drive and the Lexington Legends. Um, you know, it it is about the ice cream and the playground they have there, and and all those things, uh, because it's not necessarily about what's on the field. Except you and I enjoy watching what's on the field, and I think Eric really showed. Um, it's about developing the players to go up in the major leagues, but also about the venue and just having a family-friendly environment. Yep. I think one of the things
1: that he said that reverberates the most is that they're marketing to the moms. He's mar- he's yeah. marketing to the moms saying, okay, mama says you got to be in bed by nine. Yeah. Mama says that it's time to go. You get Nancy. And when they go to the ballpark – they have things that cater to anything from, as he said, like the typical baseball purist that's they're keeping score or all the way to the four-year-old kid that really doesn't care about what's going on yep. on the field. But and they like a so, like
0: reedy – the frog, yeah, they like a playground. The they like ice cream. Normally there, and
1: those that's that's what the kids like. Yep, and so that's what they're marketing towards. So it just shows you that on a minor league level versus a major league level. Now you go into a big city like New York or Chicago or L.A., Philadelphia or even Baltimore. Do do the teams market themselves for the city? Absolutely. But they don't have to. The city's going to stand behind the team. but I mean, in
0: in major league ballparks, it's about the baseball. Yes,
1: it is. And now, granted, do they do things for kids? Absolutely. We're not saying they don't. But at a minor league level... You have to
0: focus on it more. Exactly.
1: And then it's it's all about... The minor league level is not only about, number one, player development, but number two, the community. Bringing the community out to enjoy a game whether or not you're truly engaged in the yeah. game or not. So that I think that's what I took away from it the most. I mean, you're never going to take me out to a ballpark where I'm not engaged in what's going on in the field down to wanting to catch BP, watch pitching practice, watch toss around, I watch warm I,
0: I, I think we've both been at the ballpark enough to know that Our families want to leave a lot sooner than we do. Oh, yes. Absolutely. That's why I don't take
1: my wife anymore, and I just take my kids. And guess what? They can't drive. So they can't tell me. All (laughs)
0: right. Well, hey, I hope you guys enjoyed episode three of the interview with Eric Jarenko, the general manager of the Greenville Drive, the 2018 World Series champion Boston Red Sox. Chase, take us out. All right, guys. One thing before we
1: leave. Follow us on Twitter at Outfielders Anonymous or at Outfilters, capital A, and this is what we want from you guys. When you follow us on Twitter, let us know what you want as far as topics, players you want to talk about, things that are going on, teams. We want to know what you guys want to hear Because what you guys want to hear, that's what we want to talk about. So please follow us on Twitter at Outfielders Anonymous. Let us know this week what you want to hear for Episode 4. We've already got some great feedback from listeners. We want more. Let's take all that into consideration. And let's start Episode 4 off completely integrated in with what the listeners want. So, guys, I'm Chase. I'm Hawk. And thanks for listening to Outfielders Anonymous. See ya. Peace.